0: So about two years ago, I received a Father's Day gift from my wonderful wife and the gift for me was to go skydiving. I was so excited and I was looking forward to it. And when I got to you know uh, oceanside, very beautiful scene, you know, a wonderful divers out there, I just got immersed into the whole experience. I was so excited. And, you know, when you go uh, skydiving, you know, there are a bunch of instructions that they'll give you. They start by quoting statistics, how it's how it's unlikely that you're going to, you know, uh, die from skydiving than from being struck by lightning or being hit by a car or have a car accident, you know, all these wonderful things that are supposed to make you feel calm and just make you think, okay, this thing that I want to do right now is still what I want to do. And... I remember being, you know, in that group, maybe five to seven of us. And, you know, the instructors walked us through what to do in the tandem skydiving, what to expect when we're uh, as we rise up, you know, in the high altitude, and what to expect when we jump out of the airplane, how to keep your chin up, you know. And more importantly, just to remember to breathe and enjoy the experience. And while we were skydiving, you know, when that moment came, I will not mention names here, but there was this one particular lady who was actually diving with a skydiver who was her nephew. And he had calmed her nerves, reassured her that she'll be fine. But when her turn came and she jumped out of the airplane, all we could hear for the next four to five minutes was just her screaming and flailing in the air. And thank God she made it. But it's like everything that we were told, like everything that she was instructed to do, she had forgotten about it. Church, sometimes I feel like with everything that has been going on with the pandemic, you know, with the protests, with, you know, with the church and believers coming on fire on either side of, you know, of the political, um, campaign I feel like we as a church have become that lady who instead of going through what she signed up for she forgot everything and I feel like in this season of pandemic we too as a church may have forgotten and what this leads to is what I personally term as personal despair or spiritual depression you know Everything that has been going on has not been great. And we forget that God's word, his scripture is here to guide us. His scripture is the instruction, the things, I mean, they contain words of life, the thing we should follow for us to endure during this time. And we're going to learn from none other than the sons of Korah who wrote um, Psalms 42 and Psalms 43. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you as we come before you this morning. God, I pray that you open our ears to receive your word. Open our hearts, Lord, to receive your presence. God, I pray that you come speak to each and every soul in these difficult and trying times. God, do that and I ask that you stand in my body, think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords, the things that you want us to say, know, and do. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. Use me as a vessel this morning and speak, Lord, for your children are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible with you or you have your Bible app, turn to Psalms 42. I'll be reading the New King James Version. Verse 1. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul for you, O Lord. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Verse six, O oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and to the heights of Hermon, from the hill of Mizarre. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls, and your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bonds, my enemy reproach me, while they say to me all day, Where is your God? Verse 11. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. The overarching theme of Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, the two actually in old manuscripts used to just be the same psalm, is we see this theme of personal despair or spiritual depression. We do not know the background or the backstory for why the sons of Korah wrote this psalm, but it is clear that what they were experiencing is what the ancients used to call the dark night of the soul. I personally tend to term it as the dark side of faith. The dark side of faith is when all your doubts seem very sunny and all your hope seem to be lost. In those moments of spiritual depression, I personally, I've experienced that the zest for life is gone. Every simple thing that you can do Every simple action feels like a huge and demanding task. And relationships just seem so hard to maintain. In these moments, I feel like even my prayer cannot penetrate my ceiling to leave my house and go to God. Have you ever been through those moments? Um, About a few weeks ago, um, while in quarantine, I remember telling my oldest son, Ethan, I said, We need to go out and play just in the yard. And I could just see this despair in his eyes. And he was wondering, Dad, what's the point? I mean, we're in quarantine. I don't want to do anything. And, you know, he was just flailing. And seeing that despair in the eyes of a five-year-old just reminded me how much we, as a church or the entire world, are going through the very exact same thing. And I think it is important for us to acknowledge that spiritual depression is real, okay? So with that said, there are three fallacies that I actually want to speak to regarding spiritual depression. The first thing that you probably hear a lot is people will say, it's all in your head. It is not real. Can I be real with you? The Bible says in Psalms 139, verse 4, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Translation, it means everything that God put in us to build, to create us, is complex. And because of that complexity, That means a lot of things have to be in the exact balance. One thing off and our complex nature comes crumbling down. That means a lot of things can go wrong. Factors such as genetics or personality dynamics or biochemical um, disturbances in the brain can alter the way you and I experience life. May I also add on top of that, the trauma that we may have undergone in life play a huge role in how we experience life. So it cannot just be in your head. It is real. So for us as Christians to simply dismiss that depression is not real, is simply untrue and not helpful. That is the first lie that we tend to hear regarding spiritual depression or depression in general. The second fallacy that I would like to speak into is that Christians never should be depressed because as children of God, we are called to live at a higher level. Brethren, if that is the myth that you believe or the fallacy that you embrace, then you haven't read the book of Psalms. Actually, we're just reading Psalms 42 right now. And the book of Psalms is filled with moments that clearly highlight that we, as believers, go through trying times. And it is overwhelming. It can take us down if we allow ourselves to be controlled by it. Because the people who penned the book of Psalms clearly wrote down their emotional highs and lows to the point where I read and go, wait, is this in the Bible? Like, David, are you really sure that you're the same man after God's own heart and you're asking God to smite your enemy? Like, how mad do you have to be to call out God on your enemy and not just them, but also their children's children, you know? So that is a fallacy that we, as children of God, Should live above depression. As a matter of fact, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus actually challenged us. He said, Follow the narrow path. He said, Enter through the narrow gate. Implication embrace the thorns and troubles that will come your way as you walk the narrow path. And that's why not many take it. As a believer, We are promised that we will receive eternal life. But when we go through the narrow gate, troubles will come along with that. Yes, there's a great reward on the other end, but the journey is not easy. Because if it was easy, everyone would do it. And so with this said, as Christians, we should expect persecution. We should expect trying times to come our way on a frequent or even daily basis. I remember when I was a young believer, uh, when I committed my life to Jesus Christ, a friend of mine named Darius just came and tapped me on the shoulder and said, David, do you know what you just did? I said, I know I, I am leaving away my worldly sorrows because I am giving my life to Christ and he makes everything new. I am starting a new life. And he said, David, that's great. However, This is also an invitation for traveling times that will come in your pilgrim walk. You know, everything that you believe will be challenged. You're going to go through tough times and if you are not careful, if you get caught up in the trials and temptations that will come your way, you will lose sight of your faith and this salvation that you just received, this wonderful gift, will vanish. It'll be like a dew that was there and vaporated when the sun came up. And for me, that was a stark warning because I thought my troubles would be far away. And yet, here, the Bible says, and my friend had to point me to that and say, look, tough times will come. Depression will come knocking down your door. But you've got to remember That yes, you're a child of God, but these things, you are not immune to them. I mean, if Jesus himself walked the earth and he was tempted and tried, the Bible says that there's nothing that we go through that Jesus did not go through. He too underwent the same situation, but he overcame. And so can you and I. However, we cannot dismiss that it does not exist or that we're immune to it. The third and final fallacy that I actually want to highlight, and this I have heard it more frequently, is that if you're depressed, it means you're unspiritual or spiritually immature. The problem with this viewpoint really is that it's contrary to everything that's written in the scripture. Many of our heroes of faith had their highs and lows. I just mentioned earlier, David, a man after God's own heart, went through the same troubles. In fact, in Psalms, if you read Psalms chapter six, he, he he went on and said, have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. My soul is greatly troubled. He would continue further in verse um, six and say, sometimes stress and anxiety from my enemies would overcome me to the point that he would cry out at night. And in verse 6, he said, I am weary with groaning. And my tears at night would make my bed swim. And I would drench my couch in tears. So David had his highs and lows. A man after God's own heart went through depression when the enemies were pursuing him. Another example that I always cite is of Elijah. I'm pretty sure you saw this coming. You know, after his victorious, not worthy defeat of the prophets of Baal, Elijah runs into the desert when he was threatened by the queen, Jezebel. And in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse four, this is what Elijah, when he got there, this is what he told God. He said, God, it's enough. Lord, take my life. Listen, you have to be pretty depressed to want to die. Don't you agree? So the fallacy that if we're depressed, we're unspiritual or immature, it's not true. There are New Testament examples, like Paul, the apostle. He, too, was depressed, and he wrote that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. He said he was burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that he despaired even of life. There's so many examples that I can point our heroes of faith, Abraham, Moses, they all had their moments, their high moments, which we love to read about, but they also had their low moments where they felt like God was distant from them. Can I encourage you this morning that it is not unspiritual of you to experience depression? It is not spiritually immature for you to go through this because even men and women of faith who pined the scriptures that we read went through the same thing. And if they went through and God delivered them, so can you and I. So I digressed because I wanted to address these fallacies so that you cannot think this sermon is not about you. This message is not for you. This message is for every one of us, whether we believe we believe that depression or spiritual depression is true or not. As we just read in Psalms 42, there are five reasons that I want to highlight, reasons for spiritual depression that the sons of Korah highlighted. The first reason, if you're taking notes, is unmet expectations and loss of opportunities. In verse one, we read, as the deer pants for the water, so does my soul long for you, O God. You see, there's this desperation, there's this expectation of a deer desiring water. Now, I've seen deer in my neighborhood here. Um, unfortunately, they don't paint the proper picture of this context. I know in this period of pandemic, you probably have been home and binge watching shows. May I recommend a few for you? Um, my favorite is Animal Planet. If you can, watch just how the world works. And my example here will not be of a deer, but of an African antelope or a springbok. Now, if you've watched any of this docuseries or, or, um, or episodes, Of a deer's life, what they, I mean, of an antelope's life, what they have to go through to survive on a daily basis, you'll be amazed at these creatures, at these animals. You see, a deer has to hunt for food, eat its food. I mean, it doesn't hunt for it, it has to eat its food, but while eating, it's gotta watch its back because there's always a predator behind. Now, in the environments that most of these antelopes survive, Water is not just nearby. And so them tracking to go drink water, it has to be deliberate and intentional, knowing that there could be a predator on their back. Now, when they get to the spring of water, there's always this river, right? Where every animal comes to drink. Well, if you haven't watched um, Animal Planet or one of those Discovery channels, I'm pretty sure you've seen it in every Disney movie where you have all animals congregating to this one water hole. What you don't see in the Disney movie is that you have alligators in the water waiting to just jump up and catch this antelope and eat it. So you have alligators in the water and you have lions in the back. And yet the deer is desperate. There's this expectation that I I thirst, I need to drink. And that is true of us in this situation, in this season. You look at COVID-19 with everything that's going on. You look at the loss of our jobs and opportunities, and it's frustrating. And yet, here we are, we you know, we long for God. The sons of Korah, they were worshippers. Their mission in life, what what their vocation was, what God put them on this earth for, was to lead the children of Israel. Into worship and for them to experience worship in its fullness. And yet, here they were in a situation where they could not do that. In verse 4, we read, They said, When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitudes. I went with them to the house of God with, with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. There is this expectation of them leading the children of Israel to the presence of God. But they themselves are not there. As a leader, how can you lead people to a place where you yourself haven't been to? So you can see this unmet expectation on the one side. And we can experience the same thing with with ourselves too. What What expectations do you have that is not being met now and is leading you to this depressive state? Is it the perfect job? Is it the perfect relationship, wife or husband or spouse? Is it the perfect kids that just know how to act right and live right? Whatever it is, if it's not met, if that expectation is unrealistic or it's not being met, it can lead you to a very depressive state. On the other hand, you have the mourning of lost opportunities because the sons of Korah didn't have this opportunity anymore to lead worship, to bring people into the comfort and the presence of God. So there was this loss that they were experiencing. What loss are you mourning in this season? Could it be a loss of a job? A breakdown in a relationship. Unruly children that don't hear you anymore because after staying with you home for a few days and weeks and months have gone by, your words have begun falling on deaf ears. That can lead to depression. Or maybe you don't have kids, you're single, but ever since the lockdown was in place, the shelter-in-place order was put, you put your timer on you said god it's been week one week two week three it's week eight and after week eight it was temporarily lifted and now we're back to lockdown again god what's happening it's over a hundred days what's happening so you have this unmet expectation because you thought the lockdown would end the virus and yet here we are and the virus is still spreading and it's disrupting everything that you enjoy, and you just can't wait to go back to a normal life. Let not unmet expectations or loss of opportunity push you to a depressive state. Another reason that the sons of Korah point out is constant external criticism. If you look at verse 3 and verse 10, you'll notice that, the sons of Korah had enemies. They had critics who were questioning them. Where is your God? Do you have critics in your life that are questioning and pushing you to a depressive state? I know some of you are wonderful. You know, I've watched your social media live profile, I've stalked you, yes. And you have this wonderful thing that you have going on. You know, the great uh, uh, urban legend and prophet Gaga said, You live for the applause, right? You live for the applause. Yes, that's you, you know? Or you live for the cloud, like the other um, urban prophet um, who said, you, they, I mean, you live for the cloud. Whereas, on the other spectrum, you have people who live to prove their critics wrong. Like it's what fills you, it's what makes motivates you. Here we find that whether you live for the applause or live for the critics, both can be dangerous. Living for the applause leaves us with the first reason, which is unmet expectations. We we'll become bigger and greater than what we are what designed and called to do. And we have these huge holes, God-like holes that we're trying to fill. On the other hand, if we're listening to our critics all the time, can I tell you from personal experience, it wears you down. I remember when I was in high school, I mean, this was a school, um, it was a private school. They did not give us the freedom to practice our religion And I, for one, took a stand and I prayed to God even though that would get me in trouble. I shared the gospel even though I knew it would cost me. I could get kicked out of school. And I remember this one moment when we sat for a test. I was, I'll say I was, you know, I was smart enough but I remember this one class that, I mean, this one test that I did not get an A. I probably got like a a C. And I remember all these people coming to me and questioning, where's your God, the God who gives you the wisdom and makes you smart? I remember being a teenager and processing that. And that ate me, you know. And it wasn't just that one instance. Imagine, I mean, I don't know what you're going through. Maybe you have unbelieving family members who are constantly questioning, where is your God? And you're stuck with them, you know, during this lockdown season. Maybe you have co-workers who are non-believers and they challenge your faith. They're either atheists or agnostic. And all they do, according to you, might feel like all they do is criticize and challenge you and ask, where is your God? See, external criticism, once you consume it, it turns into this internal turmoil and you begin to experience a pull in yourself. And that can rip your pack. And that can cause a spiritual depression. Now you'll notice I'm saying spiritual depression and depression, it's one thing. What you experience in your body, what you experience in your soul, will influence what you experience in your spirit. So, this tooth—it's not spiritual depression and depression that they're different. It's exactly the same thing you're experiencing, because your body, your mind, your soul is the gateway to your spirit. The other reason that the psalmist highlight as a reason for depression is accumulation of struggles. You see, if when you go through trouble after trouble after trouble. They accumulate. Again, I know this from personal experience. I grew up in a war-torn region. I came from the poorest part of the poorest country, one of the poorest countries in the world. And everything was stacked against me. I've experienced moments after moments of hurt and pain and feeling unloved, well except by God. But when you experience trauma after trauma, it drives you to the deep end. Verse 7 that we read earlier on, it says, Deep calls to deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. When you face an accumulation of struggles that you did not see coming, one trial after one trial after another trial, it will leave you winded and depleted. Deep calls to deep. When you, when you, go deeper and deeper in your sorrow in your pain when you keep diving deeper when you go too far you will be drowned you will be drowned in that depression now i'm pretty sure just just that line probably triggered to you if you're a parent or someone that loves disney movies frozen 2 you know go too far or you'll be drowned i know my kids made me watch it like a million times because they that's how much they love frozen 2 go too far if you keep diving deep and being consumed one trouble after another trouble after another trouble you will drown in it paul himself experienced this he actually wrote about his struggles in second corinthians chapter 11 verse 26 to 28 because paul had been so much on the move he had been in dangerous conditions in the sea he had faced uh, bandits, the Gentiles, even false brothers in the Lord that accused him. Paul was thirsty. Paul was cold. Paul was naked. When you read the book of Acts, it just captures so much that he went through. And this is what he wrote in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty six. He said, besides everything else, I faced daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. So on top of every personal problem that Paul was going through, he still had this huge, immense concern for all the churches that he had planted and God had used him to plant. A man who had gone through so much trouble. No wonder he got to a point of despair because he had labored and had little sleep and so much pain and trouble that came his way, all for the sake of the gospel. Daily pressures can grow into a mountainous burden when you face them over and over. Today, it might not feel inconsequential, but two three days later, something has kept happening, and it builds up, and it builds up. And before you know it, you have a full mountain of depression. The fourth reason that I want to point out from the writers of Psalms uh, for depression is dwelling on our past. You see, someone rightfully said the good old days are just a bad memory packaged in a very good imagination. I mean, think about it. Every time you, you hear that conversation, hey, remember the good old days? yeah it's I mean it's it does strike this um, nostalgia to reflect on how good things were but never does it cross our mind to remember how those good old days ended. So dwelling on our past is a huge reason for depression. why? because on one aspect, if you look if you romanticize, a bad memory, an old memory. You'll think nothing can ever be better than that. Like those were the glorious days of my life. Nothing will ever top that. You lose hope for living in the present and hope for the future because you're stuck and dwelling in the past. And we see this, the psalmist, you know, they wrote that in verse four. They said, you know, We remember the better days when we used to go with the multitudes to the house of God. You know, clearly joining worshipers and singing and feasting was a lot better than being dried out and criticized and experiencing the cumulative effect of, you know, of recalling what used to be. So you have on one aspect, you're dwelling on the past and you think nothing will ever be better than what you've experienced. That That is a hopeless situation. On the other hand, you have people who are struggling with the past. It has been so bad that they just can't get over it. Every time someone shows a little kindness, their retreat is to go back to see how their trust was betrayed in the past. They can never see anything good because the past has hurt them so much. To them, happiness is looking at the past in the rearview mirror. Unfortunately, they're driving and their eyes are in the rear view mirror and not forward, not on Christ, not on the future, but in the rear view mirror to see how the past has hurt them so much. In this season, I know a lot of us want to want things just to go back to normal. Could it be? That we're looking at the past with nostalgia, and that is driving us to a state of depression. The final reason that I I want to highlight that the psalm is mentioned here is preoccupation with self. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 in the old manuscript was just one psalm. Um, I did a little research. I counted every word. Every pronoun, every personal pronoun in the two Psalms. And guess what? The phrase I, me, and myself was mentioned 51 times. In the same verses, God is just mentioned 22 times. Now that is clear evidence of preoccupation with self. We think it's all about me. It's all about my problems. It's all about my anxiety. It is my depression. We even personalize it. And we forget who God is. You see, God created us to live in communion with him, but also in communion with his community. Let us not forget what God has done in and through us or what he will do and can do in and through us. When we are preoccupied with self and we let all the criticisms, everything else pile onto us, we cannot experience the freedom that comes with walking with Jesus Christ. We cannot experience the freedom that was purchased by the blood of Jesus. Let us look and the three remedies that the Sons of Korah highlight for us in this uh, psalm. Now, I know some of us choose to deal with depression in different ways, including leaning on substances to numb the pain. Now, we all know a band-aid solution never works for an issue that requires surgery. May I encourage you to seek God if you're going through a spiritual depression. But more importantly, to seek the community that God has surrounded you with. There are wonderful men and women who God has called professionally to counsel you. So seek counsel. Seek counsel from counselors and seek counsel from the great counselor, Jesus himself. May I point out these three remedies that are helpful, and all of them have to do with one simple thing, which is replacement. Replace something that is bad or depressing with something else that is uplifting and can draw you closer to God. The first remedy that the sons of Korah pointed out here, they said, replace your thoughts with God's truth. Did you notice in Psalm 42, the sons of Korah were just talking to themselves? About two or three times, they um, when you read Psalms 42, they said it about two times. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? In verses 5 and verse 11. When you read Psalm 43, in verse 5, they also say the same thing. My soul, why are you downcast? It was Dr. Lloyd-Jones who said, most of our unhappiness in life is due to the fact that we are listening to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves. This is what the great Apostle Paul describes in the New Testament as taking every thought captive. When you have those thoughts, those depressive thoughts, the Bible says, "Take it, take it captive to the obedience of Christ." Um, psychologists will tell you that's what what's called putting your thoughts on trial. Is examining this thought and saying, "What is, what is this thought? Where is it leading me to? And what is the truth about this thought?" Maybe the thought, that the depressive thought that comes to your mind is I am worthless. I'll never amount to anything. That's what everybody has been telling me the rest of my life. Now what does God's truth speak to that thought? The Bible says you are loved. You're the apple of God's eye. He created you in his image. Jesus died on the cross because he loved you. That is God's truth. Maybe the the thought, the depressive thought that you're experiencing is, when will this morning end? I have lost and I'm lost and I'm tired of being at loss. The Bible says, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Rejoice in God's truth that his joy comes in the morning. These two shall pass. I know it's been over a hundred days of, you know, quarantine. But these two shall pass. When we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, when we examine every thought in light of God's truth, that is where we find freedom from depression. You see, the psalmists they talk to themselves. They said, "My heart, my soul, why are you troubled?" put your hope in god i find that very powerful because it's repeated two or even three times and whenever in the bible you encounter repetition it's for emphasis think about this in whose hand are you placing your hope are you placing your hope in your thoughts or are you placing your thought um, i mean your hope in god a basketball in my hand will earn you nothing but break after break and a disappointed basketball player. But however, a basketball in the hands of Michael Jordan will generate six NBA championship, six uh, finals MVP, five MVP honors, you know, ten all-star first team selection and a multitude of records that the great Michael Jordan amassed when he played basketball. Look at a golf club. If you give it in my hand, it will lead to nothing than a well-beaten grass and the golf balls ending up in places they shouldn't go. You know, broken windows, you name it. Hitting squirrels on the tree. That is what a golf uh, club in my hand will produce. But a golf club in the hands of Tiger Woods will lead to 82 PGA, you know, Cups and numerous golf records set or broken. Ah, tennis, give me a tennis racket and no, guess what? You'll see the most frustrated David trying to play a foreign sport, but a tennis racket in the hands of Serena Williams will lead to 23 grand slams along with multiple um, Wimbledon uh, championships, you know. My life in my thoughts will drive me to to the depths of despair and to the gates of hell. But my life in the hands of God will lead to peace, joy, and eternal life so let me ask this, like you've probably seen in the Osset commercial. Are you in good hands? Because it matters where we put our hope. Either in our thoughts or put our hope in God. So replace your thought with God's truth. The second remedy is replace yourself with God. It is just It's simply human for us to be self-absorbing when we're suffering. But at some point, you need to bring God into that picture. The psalmist, this is what they wrote in verse 8 and 9. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? We need to bring God into the picture when we go through depressing times. Actually, this very Psalm, Psalm 42, verse 9, Jesus himself quoted it when he was dying on the cross. Remember when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was referencing to this very same Psalm. By admitting how they felt, they were saying to the Lord, the sons of Korah were saying to the Lord, Why have you forgotten me? Replacing yourself and bringing God in the picture will lead us to question, to bring actually, it'll lead us to a place where we come to the reality of why am I self absorbed when the God of the universe who overcame is on my side? See, this reminds me about uh, a story in the book of Numbers, chapter 21 where the children of Israel were murmuring and complaining again you know to Moses about God and God sent some venomous snakes to come you know bite them and then the children cried uh, the children of Israel cried to God to Moses and Moses came and represented them before God and God told him build a bronze snake and raise it up so that anyone who looks at the bronze snake will look and live And Jesus would quote the same scripture and say, just as the the bronze snake was raised, so will the Son of Man be lifted up so that they who look at him will live. You know, this scripture inspired one of my favorite hymns, a hymn that was written by William A. Ogden in 1887. The, uh, the, The hymn is Look and Live. You probably have heard it. I'm just going to read uh, the stanzas and the, the refrain. It says, I have a message from the Lord. Hallelujah. This message unto you I'll give. It is recorded in his word. Hallelujah. It is only that you look and live. Look and live, my brother. Live. Look to Jesus and live. It is recorded in his word. Hallelujah. It is only that you look and live. You want to overcome spiritual depression? Look to Jesus and you will live. The final um, remedy for overcoming spiritual depression is replacing your past with your future. Psalm 43 actually. Is all about forgetting the past and looking to the future. Now, Paul would echo the same sentiment later in the book of Philippians when he said, I do not count myself to have apprehended. Translation, I don't pretend to understand everything that has happened. He continues, but one thing that I do know is that forgetting those things which are behind me I reach forward to those things that are still ahead. Philippians chapter 3 verse 13. We need to forget what's in the past. Now, you probably can tell by now, my message this morning is filled with illustrations from Disney, which means I've been binge-watching a lot. In the Lion King movie, there is this moment when Rafiki encounters Simba, And he tells Simba, you know, I mean, there's this moment where he hits Simba in the head, right? Whack in the head. And Simba goes, hey, why did you do that? What did you do that for? You know? And Rafiki reminds him, he says, it's in the past. Forget it. Hakuna Matata, right? And then he tries to whack him again. And this time Simba grabs the staff because he knows what lies ahead of him. It's not about him wallowing in the loss of his father or being exiled by Mufasa you know, into the wilderness. He remembers that there's a future awaiting him. And if he doesn't step up, the lionesses are going to be overrun by the hyenas. And so that starts him on a journey to the most beautiful part of the whole Lion King movie. What is in your future? I don't want to dwell in the past. Let's look at what's in your future. When you have time, read Revelations chapter 21 and verse 22. I mean, in chapter 22, that is where your future and my future is. And can I tell you something? Spoiler alert. It's glorious. It's wonderful. The Bible says God will wipe away every tear. There shall be no more death. There will be no more sorrow. There won't be any more crime. Revelation chapter 21 verse 4. I comfort myself constantly with this scripture. Every time I go through depressing and hurt times in my life, I just remember that in my future, there's no weeping, there's no hurt, there's no pain. And I will behold the presence of God. So instead of focusing on, on my past, because what happens when you look in your past, you freeze. We Remember Lot's Lord, wife, right? The angel of the Lord told him, run out of the city and never look back. And Lot's wife still wanted to look back. She wanted to see the distraction that was coming upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Bible tells us that she froze into a pillar of salt. Your past will freeze you. Look to your future where you can be redeemed. Whatever has happened to you, it's in your past, just like we learned from Rafiki. It cannot be changed. But God can use everything that you're going through now to build your faith. So I encourage you, prepare yourself for the glory that's coming. That's going to be an eternity. Let that be a replacement for the past that the enemy wants you to so cling to. I would like to end with an, um, an excerpt, um, a story that I read that I really want to share with you guys. There was a young man, a young Midwestern lawyer. Many years ago, he was suffering deep depression. It was so bad that his friends thought, you know what? We may have to keep knives away from him or even razors. None of those sharp things should be near him. He didn't see his worth in life. And this is what what he wrote and I quote. He said, I am now the most miserable man living. Whatever I shall ever be, I cannot tell. I awfully forbore what I shall not. End quote. But somehow from elsewhere, this young lawyer by the name of Abraham Lincoln got, got enough courage and encouragement to press on ahead and he influenced the course of history. And we know what Abraham Lincoln did. What I'm trying to point out here is he was in a depressed state, and yet with enough courage and encouragement, with the help of God and the commission that God provided around him, God used him mightily to influence the course of America's history. When you experience what uh, the ancients term as the dark light of the soul remember this you're not a failure it just proves that you're a fellow member of humanity because what you're facing most people have gone through it or will go through it at, at one point in their life so to overcome to have that freedom from spiritual depression Remember that God is with you. Seek his counsel and seek the help that you need. I've always said Jesus and therapy. You need that and we need that, especially in this season. Let's pray. God, we come before you. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for exposing the lies of the enemy regarding depression and spiritual depression in general god may these words may this truth of your word be ringing in our hearts may they be our light, the light to our uh, to our path may they be our guiding posts so that we can walk in the freedom that you so desired for us it is our prayer that as we go through this tough time this tough season that your presence will be with us, but more importantly, that we will enjoy this community of believers that you've surrounded us with. Lord, we put our hope not in our thoughts, but we put our hope in you. Be with us and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen.